Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday Three Martini Lunch. We are sponsored by Stamps.com today. Uh, No good martinis, though. That's uh, the first piece of bad news. We also have two actual bad martinis and uh, one crazy one. Jim, let's start with the first bad martini. And we've been talking for a while now that uh, if there's uh, going to be any momentum for the effort to prove that President Trump uh, rightfully won the 2020 presidential election, they are going to have to take it to court and win in court. That has not happened. There's been a number of hearings in a number of states that uh, some folks think is compelling. But again, you've got to actually uh, either convince legislators or or judges to do that. And so far, that hasn't happened. Uh, And then this happened yesterday. AP, Attorney General William Barr declared Tuesday the U.S. Justice Department has uncovered no evidence of widespread voter fraud that could change the outcome of the 2020 election. Barr told the AP that U.S. attorneys and FBI agents have been working to follow up specific complaints and information they've received, but, quote, to date, we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. And so, Jim, the Trump campaign issued a statement saying that they did not agree with that uh, conclusion and that they're going to press forward with their efforts. I mean, you could certainly disagree with Barr's conclusion, but the avalanche of animosity now on the right towards a guy who had basically been seen as a hero on the right in in some ways, uh, especially following the two years of Jeff Sessions, a very different approach to certain issues, mainly in Trump's direction. Uh, What do you make of Barr's conclusions that would appear at this point and the reaction to Barr's statement? Well, keep in mind, way back on November 9th, Attorney General Barr specifically said to federal prosecutors, you are authorized to pursue substantial allegations of voting irregularities if they exist before the election is certified in each state. So he went into this open-minded. He, he was not reflexively saying there's no evidence of fraud, there's nothing wrong, everything's fine. He said, okay, if you hear about this, investigate it. And in case you're wondering, the U.S. attorneys for Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, all the big swing states that are disputed or uh, the people that were kind of close, Trump appointed them. A couple of them have more than one. Sometimes they split a state into two. Um, There's no rational reason to believe that any of these people would see serious, substantial, credible evidence of voter fraud and then say, nah, I'm not going to look at it. Or, nah, it's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. Or, well, I'd better help cover this up. I'm part of the conspiracy against Trump or anything like that. I guess if you join the conspiracy, your voice goes down a few octaves. But anyway, Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and all the rest have every opportunity in the world to call up the U.S. Attorney's Office and say, this is what I have found. This is the evidence I had. We've seen the the fights that they've been trying to file in court. They can say, here is evidence of a criminal conspiracy. Here you go. Here here is the evidence of the Venezuelans. Here's the evidence of the Dominion machines. All of that stuff, they can do that. They have not done so. And as you noted, Greg, like not only like you could point to, you know, random people on Parler and, and you know, obviously they're diehard Trump fans who hate hearing anything, any bad news for him and uh, all of that. But it's you know, it's also folks like Roger Stone, who <clears throat> Attorney General Barr lowered the sentencing recommendation for this ingrate. You know, Roger Stone now says that uh, uh, Barr was a deep state operative all along. He's boy, he, he, he maintained that cover really effectively. Lou Dobbs said that he's a liar or a fool or both. He may be perhaps compromised. He may simply be on principled 
or he may be personally distraught or ill. Uh, Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch says that Barr is protecting Hillary Clinton. I'm not even sure how that gets. All of these people, like you know, up until very recently, William Barr was one of the good guys. William Barr was arguably, and I, I still would, I think it's actually, you could make a strong argument. Barr has been the most effective cabinet appointment of President Trump. And you can look at the entire two years that Barr has been in this position and find lots of cases where he has done exactly as President Trump wanted. He can accurately be described as a loyalist. I think he's been, you know, he's been described in the press as Trump's champion and advocate. You can look at the Russia probe. You can look at the Mueller stuff. Uh, you can talk the fights he's had with Democrats in the House, Park Police into Lafayette Square. I mean, you go down the list. Attorney General Barr has done just about everything any president could reasonably expect his attorney general to do in any conceivable scenario. But now he says, look, I haven't seen any evidence. There's no evidence of this. All of a sudden, he's a bad guy. All of a sudden, he's part of the conspiracy. You know, stuff. I read about this at length in today's Morning Jolt, and it's deeply frustrating. And I think it's kind of, you know, like bars in on it. He's part of the deep state. You know, how high does this conspiracy go? Look, guys, Trump lost. He was close in a couple of states. It came within 2%. Um, I've kind of done the math on this, and I think we're in the neighborhood of like 65,000 votes. Sorry, 65,900. In Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona, and that congressional district in Nebraska, if they had voted that way for Trump, you'd end up with uh, 270 electoral votes. But he didn't win. And there is no evidence of a conspiracy. And the more you go down this rabbit hole, the more you divorce yourself from reality and the more you conclude that anybody who looks at this and says nope i don't see any evidence must be part of the conspiracy must be part of the effort you are just stretching further and further away from reality uh and in the jolt i lay out why people are attracted to this i think there's kind of a there's an excitement to it there's a drama to it uh life is boring oftentimes government and politics can be boring sometimes but fighting a conspiracy that's always exciting in that case you're always fox Mulder. You're always Neo who can see the code of the Matrix. You have the they live sunglasses that show you the truth. Greg, stop me before I pop culture reference again. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's you know, that's where we are. And it's deeply frustrating. And you're seeing people decide to buy into this fantastical conspiracy theory because they don't want to address the possibility that, yeah, Trump lost the election. Before we move on, though, Jim, there may be a number of listeners out there who are saying, Look, there's uh, a case that the president's team is making here. Let's hear more about what you think about that. So Jenna Ellis, who is one of the president's attorneys, tweeted out yesterday, if you still think there's no evidence, you haven't been paying attention to these state hearings. They were in Arizona and Michigan, and I think there's one in Pennsylvania. Obviously, as we said, they haven't taken anything to court yet. Have you heard anything in those state hearings uh, that would convince you that there's some there there? Well, first of all, Greg, they're not official state hearings. They're not being held in the state legislature. There's no participation of any state legislative Democrats. They are basically high-profile press conferences. Um, if, it's a, if it's a official hearing of the state, you get sworn in, you do all, you know, all, all the kind of stuff. And oh, by the way, other people in government, like the Democrats, are allowed to participate in this. They are allowed to be questioned skeptically, right? You're, you basically have to prove your argument under oath, even in congressional hearings. That's why they swear you in. That's why lying to Congress is technically a crime, although there's a question of how much it gets... Uh, enforced and such. No, <laughs> it, it, it was, what they have is a giant pile of affidavits from people who are either not credible, not sane, 
or you know, in some and, and in some cases, the affidavits and such that have been filed. Like you know, you probably heard the argument about the references to Edison County. There is no Edison County. Uh, the Sidney Powell lawsuit about Wisconsin demanded all of the videotapes of all the vote counting that occurred at the uh, center in Detroit. Listeners who are paying attention probably noticed the little flaw in that, and that Detroit is not in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> it appears she may have taken simply cut and pasted her filing for Michigan and just redone it in Wisconsin. These legal efforts are sloppy, they are slipshod, and they basically come across as a bunch of people who are came to their conclusion that there was a conspiracy and who are now desperately looking around to find evidence to support the conclusion and it's supposed to work the other way around. You're supposed to follow the evidence to the conclusion. So, no, Greg, I'm pretty much unconvinced. And no, these hearings that are done in the Hyatts and in hotel ballrooms are not state leg- you know, Like the fact that it's not occurring in the state legislative building would be your first clue that these are not official government acts. All right. Uh, let's talk about some good news. Uh, Christmas is only 23 days away. And I'm guessing slightly fewer people will be traveling this year to visit family members and therefore bringing their presents in person. So you're going to need to send them mail, UPS. Uh, That can be a hassle. Go into the post office, but you don't have to do it. Stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping right to your computer. You can mail and ship anything from the convenience of your home or office. With Stamps.com, anything you can do at the post office, you can do with just a few clicks. Plus, Stamps.com saves you money with deep discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office that's sending out invoices or an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-selling holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or you drop it off. It's that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off of every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail and up to 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. It is no wonder that more than 900,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk, and with our promo code 3Martini, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale. There are no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. All one word, spell it out, 3Martini. That's Stamps.com, enter 3Martini. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. All right, Jim, let's go to bad martini number two. And our second bad martini and our crazy martini are somewhat linked. Jim, you'll be shocked to know that uh, the Minneapolis City Council, with all their talk about defunding police, are now seeing a rise in crime rate. This is from the uh, Star Tribune. Over the past two months, Minneapolis police have logged more than 125 carjackings in the city, a troubling surge that authorities had largely linked to small groups of marauding teens. But an increasing number of adults have been arrested in recent weeks for the same crime. Within a one-hour period Saturday morning, police reported three separate carjackings in southeast Minneapolis, including one where an elderly woman was struck on the head. Such attacks are up 537% this month, when compared with last November. Quote, the numbers are staggering, said police spokesman John Elder. It defies all civility and any shred of common human decency. 
537%, Jim. It may defy civility and human decency, but it doesn't defy logic. When you don't want police anymore, guess what happens? Exactly, Greg. Uh, look, you know, instead of defunding the police, let's try having police. Let's see how that works. Let's see if that improves. I exaggerate slightly, but clearly the Minneapolis Police Department is not even close to getting a handle on this. And as you know, that article goes on to continue, up until September, the Minneapolis Police Department didn't track this type of crime because they were so infrequent. Technically, if, when they had it, it fell under the category of robberies and auto theft. Now, come on. <laughs> how, how do you live in this city and see statistics like this and not, I don't want to say freak out, but basically look at this and say, wow, okay, we even by this, I wonder if it's almost like, you know, when, when they talk about when you have an amnesty, people start coming across the border uh, because they want to make sure they, per they get to participate in the amnesty. I wonder if the degree to which Minneapolis discussed defunding the police, and by the way, remember, they haven't done it. City Council announced they were going to do it. And then they looked at, well, it's actually going to have to require. <laughs> and then they saw the amount of work they're going to have to do. And, you know, they've been backtracking. They've been kicking the can down the road. Minneapolis still has a police department. It was the mayor who got heckled, who went to some rally and then said, no, we can't actually do that. And, you know, the crowd turned on him instantly. Look, if you are a carjacker, if you are a, a professional car thief or an amateur car thief or an aspiring car thief, I figure you look at it and say, wow, Minneapolis, man, this is like the Silicon Valley in the mid-90s. You know, this is where it's at if you want to go out and get into car thieving. This is, you know, the land of opportunity if you want to assault people, if you want to take their cars, if you want to steal from them. Uh, lo and behold, simply by discussing the possibility of defunding the police, the, you know, the C Minneapolis City Council and the far-left activists and all that stuff basically turned on I say the bat signal, the car theft signal, right? They have turned, you can say red flag in front of a bull, whichever metaphor you like. They basically said to the criminals of the world, come to Minneapolis, it's your playground. The cops can't keep up with you. There's simply too many people and the locals don't even want the cops to enforce the law at all. That's an exaggeration, but nonetheless, perception can become reality. And certainly lots of people, teenagers and adults believe that they can steal cars with impunity and so far it looks like they're getting away with it minneapolis you have gone terribly down the wrong road and even though you have not actually fully you, you actually managed to defund the police you have created the perception that your police are not there and you are suffering extraordinary levels of crime way you do this you get back to enforcing the law you talk about how you support the police you put people in jail that's what works Sorry, folks. It's really unfortunate what happened with George Floyd. It's really, you know, every, every incident of police corruption, brutality, and mistreatment should be investigated and prosecuted. But abolish the police may be, you know, the single most damaging phrase of the entire year of 2020. We've had a lot of damage from a lot of sources this year. No, absolutely right. And I know Seattle police officers are leaving in droves. I had seen reports earlier this year that the same was true in Minneapolis. I don't see anything here that shows in specific numbers uh, the size of the force or the change in the size of the force over I the past think several the person, months. Yeah, Greg, the person, the police off, uh, official whose job was to keep track of the number of police officials, I think he quit. <laughs> it could happen. 
could have happened. And so even if uh, you haven't fully defunded, uh, demoralizing the force, uh, the force uh, officers not wanting to go into certain neighborhoods, uh, just a, a reduction in numbers, uh, you're still going to have that same impact on crime. Uh, and a lot of folks thought, you know, after all that devastation from the summer, well, that's going to show up at the ballot box. It really didn't. Uh, the presidential race wasn't particularly close. It was you know, relatively close, but not uh, a nail biter in Minnesota. And uh, the Senate race uh, went to the Democrats. And so you have to wonder uh, what's going to change there. And you just wonder, Jim, if folks in Wisconsin and Iowa need to be concerned that people might end up leaving the Minneapolis area, but not changing how they vote. So be careful because... Uh, Californians have uh, gone to Arizona and to Texas and to some other places to make those a little more competitive. Uh, the people leave liberal policies but don't change how they vote. That ends up with those liberal policies. Greg, I'm envisioning a scenario where someone moves into our neighborhood. Oh, you're from Minnesota. Where in Minnesota? Minneapolis. <laughs> oh, yeah, I brought over you some lemon bars, but um, how do you feel about cops? Oh, you don't? Sorry, I'm taking, give, give, me the, give me lemon bars back. No, no, you're not getting any of that. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. On every edition of the Sarah Carter Podcast, I say we're taking back the story. And that's exactly what we have to do. Whether it's the Russia hoax, the relentless attacks on President Trump pretending Antifa doesn't exist, or covering up for the repressive Chinese government, the mainstream media isn't interested in the truth. It's up to us to uncover the truth and share it with others. Please join me in taking back the story on the Sarah Carter Podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini, and it kind of comes along this same topic. Barack Obama, of course, is uh, pushing his new book, so he's doing many more interviews than usual. And he did one with Peter Hamby and his podcast, Good Luck America. And an interesting comment, particularly coming from Obama. This is the Hills version of the story. Former President Obama said political candidates lose support when using, in his words, snappy slogans like defund the police. Obama told Peter Hamby that those who use the slogan could jeopardize their goals of enacting meaningful reforms for police. Quote, you lost a big audience the minute you say it, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually going to get the changes you want done, the former president said in the interview. Quote, the key is deciding do you want to actually get something done or do you want to feel good among the people you already agree with? said Obama. So, uh, Jim, it's not necessarily bad advice uh, because we ha immediately after the slogan got popular, you had the mainstream media out there saying, oh, no, 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 no. They don't really want to defund police. They want to do all these other things. And then AOC and others are saying, no, no, we actually want to defund the police. So that was an interesting debate. But Jim, of all people, Barack Obama, yes, we can. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan, is the guy saying snappy slogans just don't work, guys. No, you know, I, I got to give Obama credit that really, if you want to win and be effective in politics, you need slogans that are specific, that are clear, that are connected to a serious policy proposal. You know, Greg, like like hope and change. <laughs> um, right? You know, yes, we can. Si se puede. You know, come on. You know. Now, I, I do think this is somewhat interesting to see in the context of the reevaluation of Obama's legacy by progressives and that after you saw a little bit of this after Trump was elected. Look, most Democrats loved Barack Obama for about eight years. It was blasphemy to suggest that Barack Obama was not the very best president that he could have been and that America could have possibly had. And, and you know, and now if you look at the, the you know, Obama's got his memoir, his third a promised land out there. 
you're starting to notice that there is now this disconnect between Barack Obama and the progressive activists in the party, particularly the younger and woker, who are now not quite so shy about admitting the idea that in their eyes, Barack Obama was, if not a failure, then a disappointment that he did not accomplish what they wanted. And there's this big glaring piece of evidence that if Obama really was this phenomenally successful president, why did the country elect Donald Trump? Uh, a country that is, feels like things are going great, a country that feels like the status quo is good, that they're being well served by their government, um, that they're they're prosperous and safe and, and the future looks bright, doesn't elect of Donald Trump. They, they stick with the Hillary Clinton type. The election of Donald Trump was a signal of, hey, things are not right in this country. We want to change. We will nominate this guy who's like a giant walking wrecking ball. We'll roll the dice on him. We know he's got a whole bunch of flaws. That's how much we can't stand the status quo. Obama, I'm you know, slowly working my way backwards through Obama's autobiography. And it's kind of interesting to see his grappling with this, his sense of this. And I know it's going to shock you, Greg. So far, the conclusion I'm taking away from it is that Obama thinks he was right and everyone else was wrong. <laughs> I, I, you may want to sit down for that. That's kind of a shocking conclusion there. But it's interesting to see this alienation between, because like the woke young progressives don't think so well of Barack Obama. And Barack Obama does not think so well of these young woke progressives. And in this case, he's got something of a point in that several times over the last couple of years, we have seen the hard left. And you, you could use Bernie Sanders as an example of this. You could use AOC. There, there are a bunch of figures who are the left branch or the left wing of the Democratic Party. And they'll say something not just like abolish the police or defund the police. They'll say something like, remember, abolish ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They wanted to do away with it completely. And then you'll see folks generally in the media who see themselves as the press agents for the party to say, stop being paranoid, you conservatives. Nobody's talking about actually abolishing ICE. And then if you look in liberal magazines, uh, you know, the Mother Joneses of the world, the American Prospects, even sometimes the New Republic, you'll see columns that are basically, no, we really do want to abolish ICE, <laughs> right? They may or may not actually get through with this. And they may certainly don't have the political capital, the political pull to do this, but they very much want to do it. And my suspicion is, if you're familiar with the concept of the Overton window, the idea that there's a limited range of ideas that are considered reasonable and normal and worthy of discussion in American politics, this is their effort to try to shift the Overton window to the to the left, that if uh, abolishing ICE is no longer seen as crazy, it doesn't mean Congress will do that next year, but they may cut the ICE budget or they may put new restrictions on what ICE can do. You can do this from banning health insurance, letting felons vote, basically any idea that popped out of Bernie Sanders' head over the last four or five years represents one of these ideas. And you know, Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama have different attitudes towards governance and what it's supposed to be. By the standards of Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama is a moderate, not by a lot of other standards, but by the, by the standards of the self-proclaimed socialist, Barack Obama is eh, not that far to the left compared to the rest of us. Yes, he is. But anyway, that's that's where things are. And in this case, I, I think Obama's right. I, but the problem is I'm not so sure anybody in his party really wants to listen uh, because they want that dream. And their big shock over the election results of 2020 was they thought the whole country was ready to sign on for the whole deep left progressive kitten caboodle. And in the end, you look at the victory of Biden while Democrats didn't do so well down ticket. The message from the electorate was, no, now we're just really sick of Trump and we want to get rid of him, but we don't want a socialist revolution to go along with all this. 
No, and it uh, reminds me of the early debates in the um, 2020 cycle where, remember, just about everybody on stage was uh, attacking Joe Biden because the Obama administration in their eyes, or at least their, their public statements, didn't go far enough on issue after issue after issue. And uh, ultimately, most of those people fell by the wayside, but they ultimately rallied behind Biden because uh, Sanders himself, as a specific alternative, scared them more. And so uh, they're always going to keep pushing left. Anyway, it's catchy slogans. Barack Obama now anti-catchy slogans. Mm. So amazing. I, I just wish at some point AOC or, or any representative of this could quote the old 80s anti-drug commercial. I learned it from watching you. <laughs> oh, man. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review, also the author of Hunting for Horsemen. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you for being with us. Uh, don't forget about Stamps.com and their great deal, especially helpful this holiday season. But at any time of the year, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. We are always very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, remember, you can get us on those home devices. You just have to say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.